Welcome to the Gather Influence podcast. It is our great honor to welcome you into some of the most catalytic conversations happening in our nation around the female voice. My name is Vanessa Hoyes from Montreal and my co-host Kathy Ostapchuk from Toronto and I have the privilege of leading Gather Women. This movement will exist until the female voice can be heard loud and clear in every sphere of influence across our nation. So we invite you into these conversations and we pray they will mobilize you personally, you the listener, you the influencer to champion truth, challenge inequity and in turn change our nation and change our world. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Gather Influence Podcast. It's Kathy Ostapchik here with you today in a great, inspiring conversation with my friend Jeff Lockyer. He's a friend not only to me, but to the mission and vision of Gather, and I love that. He has actually led the church he grew up in for over two decades, and in that time, Southridge Community Church has grown to become an innovative multi-site church across the Niagara region, where each location is defined by its own missional anchor cause, serving the homeless, migrant farm workers, and low-income families. He's the chair of the board of the Global Leadership Network Canada, and he's co-hosted the GLS podcast. Jeff also launched a pastor-to-pastor mentoring system called Lead Village. We'll find out a little bit more about the growth and development of that later that has supported pastors across Ontario for past 10 years. He's a former national team long distance runner. Jeff and his wife Becky live in St. Catharines with their three children, Owen, Simon and Adeline. And I believe Owen is just getting ready and off to college. So that's the update on Jeff. You're going to love this conversation. If you are in our nation anywhere, just living and breathing, have an interest in the church in Canada, Canada are a female or male and want to know how God is that move in this nation. You want to be listening to the conversation. You want to be jotting down some of the great wisdom coming from Jeff in his years of experience, not only as a local church pastor, but as a global leader. And what I love about what's happening in Canada and around the world right now is that people are going outside their local church and creating resources for so many more to share based on what they sucked at and then the solutions to those things. And you're going to hear that in the conversation. Very few people would actually use that word, but Jeff does. And I think it's a great word. So what's happening with Jeff right now, what's happening with Southridge, what's happening with Leaders Village is that it's sort of a reimagining in itself and launching itself, I think, as a major player in transformation in the church and across Canada. And so they are launching Leaders Village, um, developing resources for local church leaders, but also anyone who wants to find out where they fit in, um, in what God is doing in the nation and beyond. So he's just written this amazing book, Finding Our Way. I have a fresh copy in my hand that Jeff sent to me and I finished it. It's that good, it's a great read. And it's called Finding Our Way, Reclaiming the First Century Church in the 21st Century. And I'll tell you why this book is really close to my heart. It's very rare that you find anyone in church leadership, primarily males in church leadership, that actually give time and airtime to what's happening with the female church. And he actually has 
a whole chapter in this book called on female leadership development and why that's so important. So not just leadership development, but specifically why female leadership development is so important. And you're going to hear in this conversation that he has been learned in this. He has been schooled in this. They have done the work as their church to try and get to the heart of what are some of the issues that keep women from stepping in their full gifting to the church and what some of the solutions to that are. And so if you are um, having the why clear for you that you know that male and female co-laboring in the church is important to you if you're listening, but you need the how, Jeff is an expert on the how. I mean, they've done the work at their church and he's thought it through so well that they are creating resources and concepts and toolkits that are easily transferable. So I really want you to listen into this conversation, listen into a couple times, but particularly share it. Share it with your pastor, share it with the leaders in your church, share it with other churches that are having this debate, not only about that, but how to give back as a local church to your community. There's so much good uh, visioning material. There's so much good practical stuff that Jeff and his team have created for you. So this note that I got with Jeff when he sent me the book was, you know, thank me for sharing these copies, which yes, I am getting these out to anybody in my circle that wants a copy, but also strengthening our partnership together. And that's what I love. Gather's always been very collaborative. We are always seeking, you know, like-minded partners um, so that the church can flourish. And we want that for men. We want that for women. We want that for for the church as a movement. And so Jeff is one of those guys that is coming alongside to say, hey, we this is something that we can help make happen. So have a good listen to today's podcast. It's an honor to have you joining us today. And it's an honor to share this conversation with Jeff Lockyer with you. Thanks. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Gather Influence podcast. And I'm here today with Jeff Lockyer. Really excited, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, We had a conversation last week informally on the phone. And every time we talk, I think, oh, we should record this. So here we are (laughs) recording it. It just better be as good, but I'm sure it will be. Uh, Jeff, you are quite a visionary, and I've shared a little bit about you in the bio that preceded this conversation. I have something to share that was part of that bio that I just find so interesting that you are pastoring the church that you you grew up in for a couple decades. So that's my interesting thing to share. I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself to our listeners and share something as well that you think they may not know. Sure. So uh, first of all, hey, everybody. Kath, appreciate you uh, including me in this conversation. Like you said, we talk often, and so this is more like people sitting in on one of our one of our uh, longtime conversations. This can be a lot of fun. I'm uh, born and raised in the Niagara region of Ontario, Canada, and have been kind of a Niagara kid all my life, except for a few years uh, when I was at University of Toronto. Uh, I'm a former national team long distance runner. So that probably gives you as much a window into my personality and my introversion and my, you know, I'm like the little engine that could kind of, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So it gives you a little bit more of a window into just some of my psyche and, and wiring. Uh, I have three teenagers, uh, an 18 year old, a 16 year old and an almost 14 year old. So our youngest is just starting about to start high school. And uh, just a couple of days before this recording, we sent our firstborn off to college. So 
I'm still reverberating from that uh, emotional uh, reaction. We're going to go visit them and help them move in next week. But we're sort of in that in that zone. Lots of change going on in our in our house. And like you said, I am pastoring the church that I have grown up in since I was a ten year old kid and have been part of leading it for uh, what on September first will be twenty four years. So almost a quarter century of uh, leading as a prophet with no honor in their hometown, let alone their home church. Oh, I'm sure you've got lots of stories about that, what that, what that feels like. So tell us about that journey. I mean, growing up there and then going away for a bit, coming back. And what are some of the surprises that you find yourself now, like not only leading the church that you grew up in for a while, but other things that you may not have expected? Yeah, so our, our church just by history started in 1980, and it was founded by a number of families in the Niagara region from really three kind of denominationally feeder churches in town. So families from each of these churches decided that they wanted to start a new church. And the, the founding vision really was to do church in a way that their kids would know and love and want to serve Jesus. So a lot of really kid-centered programs. There was a children's feature as part of like the adult Sunday service where kids would go out of their seats and go up to the front of, you know, on the stage or whatever and have a story read to them or whatever. So it was super, super kid-centric. And then fast forward about 15 years to the mid-90s where the pastor was at the point where they wanted to now retire. And as I understand it, because I, I wasn't part of the inner conversation at the time, uh, the board was having some difficulty with like search committees. And so they looked around the room and they noticed that the leaders of the church were all kind of in that similar season of life where as business owners, they were all kind of starting to think about succession and starting to think about handing these family businesses over to their kids. And so I guess someone had the bright idea that if that was collectively you know, option A for them in their private lives and in their businesses that mattered very much to them, why wouldn't it be option A in their church that ought to matter more? And so they tried with uh, another young leader, a couple of years older than myself, a guy named Chris Fowler. Uh, they originally positioned him and invited him in to serve as an apprentice pastor to our founding pastor. And it wasn't, you know, a couple of years before the apprentice was out envisioning the, the, the existing pastor and they felt comfortable retiring. And so Chris then became the pastor of the church and kind of charted a new course. He came from a, a music and like a worship background. And so he was transitioning in that era. You would have been familiar with the move, like from hymns to choruses. And he was paving that that way, but he needed help with the preaching and teaching what in the day they called pulpit supply. And so again, he and the board reached out to uh, another kid who grew up in the church whose parents were part of founding it, a guy named Michael Kraus, uh, who is our teaching pastor today, and, uh, and myself, who had come back from university and had plugged into the student ministry and ended up giving a talk that they liked. And then Chris had me give a talk on Easter Sunday of 1997. It was my, my first talk. It was called, What, what Would Jesus Say to Don Cherry? <laughs> So I don't think you want to find that cassette tape, but for the highest bidder, I could probably get it for you. It was uh, probably a very forgettable message. 
But uh, Chris invited and the board invited Michael and I to come on staff at the same time, September 1st, 1997, to help him with the preaching and teaching load. And then when Chris had a bit of a health issue and took a couple of years out of leadership, Mike and I kind of took the mantle from him. And Chris is still a part of our staff, but the rest is sort of, sort of history where together with these friends, we've been uh, leading Southridge ever since. That is fascinating. That should happen more often, actually. I'm surprised it doesn't. But <laughs> some, some people might think it should happen less often. But well, yeah, it happened. Kind of, and yeah, and here you are. So how would you describe yourself as a leader, Jeff? You know, that's a funny question, Kathy, because growing up, I never really saw myself as a leader. I was much more of a pace setter, which I guess by definition is a leader, but it's far less relational. So I would have been a pace setter academically. I would have been a pace setter, certainly athletically. And uh, like I said, I was a, a national team runner. I competed in two world championships. And so I was always sort of fixated on like what was next for me. It wasn't really on my radar to bring others along. But in, in my second year of university at the University of Toronto, the, the track coach named the men's and women's captains. And I think it was the first time, I, I don't quote me on this, but I, I understood that it was the first time that they'd ever named a, a non-fourth year student as one of the captains of the track team. And in my second year, I was named the, the, the men's captain of the, the University of Toronto track team. I guess because of the effect that I was having on other people. And it was the very first time that I awakened to the idea of actually having an effect on other people. My mind was like tunnel visioned on really just on myself and achieving these certain things for myself. And so that was really the foray into starting to realize that, no, I actually have an impact on people around me. And it awakened me to really what the essence of leadership is, that leadership isn't about personal achievement. Leadership is about vicarious achievement through others. And I, I share that because even today, I would say there's a battle within me to want to achieve the next new thing myself and wanting to be very pioneering and innovative myself or even prof prophetic myself versus having to almost discipline myself to say, okay, what, what is it going to take in me to bring others along and to, to see this vision achieved vicariously through others, because that's really the essence of leadership. And so I, I actually find myself battling myself to be more of a leader than I probably naturally am. Wow. That's fascinating. I mean, it's what Jesus did when he left the earth and said, like, I'm out and you guys are in charge. So it, it had to be them or nothing. Yeah, but this, if has you can to, do it, this has yeah. to multiply and be more than about be more than about a person for sure, let alone yeah. more about more than about Jesus. But it's yeah. it's it's actually an internal battle that I I I fight as an aspiring leader. And it's probably the core of my leadership development is just learning the the disciplines and the behaviors of multiplying uh the the work and the passion and vision of christ through others vicariously yeah interesting i mean i would love to ask you i mean we talk a lot about emerging leaders you just use the word aspiring leader where would you place yourself sort of on that continuum if there is one you know, that's a weird question, too, because for so long, I was a product of this movement of generational transfer. Mm -hmm. Some people would call it succession, but that that process really is at least a decade long. So 
you know, it was only kind of well into my ministry life that I, I was even becoming comfortable with, with being an intact leader. Cause I was always just kind of the, 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 the person inheriting leadership from other people. Yeah. Well, now almost a quarter century in, I'm suddenly on the other side of that. And we're having generational transfer conversations again in our context, only I'm the first generation leader, not the second generational leader, which is language I like to use because it's a little more neutral than older or younger. That tends to come with stereotypes or certain disrespects. So I try to use a little more neutral language, but again, that disorients me because I don't know if I'm emerging in some circles, I'm like super innovative. And in some circles, I'm archaic and old fashioned. And so it's, it's, it depends on who you ask and what room I'm in, whether I'm like new school or old school or, or what. So it's, it's that, that answer is very relative, Kathy. Yeah, it's good, but you are innovative. I do know that about you. Okay. So let's talk about the Canadian church. Um, been part of it for a long time. Why is it important to distinguish between what's happening in like big C church, which we hear all the time, and little C church, like what's happening at the local level? And where do you feel the emphasis should be? Yeah, I once heard someone say that all politics are local politics. Mm -hmm. And so there's certainly part of me that feels like at the end of the day, the person of Jesus was the incarnation of the life and love of God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The incarnation of, of God in, in Jesus Christ. And my understanding at its core is that that's what the church is. The church is not a building or an event or a program or a, a, a celebrity or what. The, the, the church is ultimately only intended to be the incarnation of Jesus, which happens on the ground at life on life, like real tangible, practical levels. And so that's what drives me to whatever would be the most localized expression of the church. At the same time, especially in 2021, like the way the local church works, you know, at least here in the Niagara region of Ontario, Canada is it's, it's such a diverse set of expressions of styles and demographics and uh, denominations and all kinds of products of the big C church that what's happening at a global level or even at a national scale matters because of the way it plays out on the ground in neighborhoods like where I live in St. Catharines, Ontario. So I'm, I'm definitely a local church guy, but I appreciate that it is so influenced now. There, there is no church at Rome or church at Corinth or mm -hmm. church at Niagara. It's a product of the, the big C church. And so the big C church does matter, even though I would say that the local church is ultimately the ballgame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you have a love for the local church and particularly Southridge. I mean, you are innovative. You've done some really unique things. We had you speak at our conference last November, a seat at the table, and you were talking about the way Southridge managed to not only survive, but thrive in different ways during the pandemic. And I wonder what um, insight you have on what happened in the last year with, with your people, but how Southridge 
found ways to keep your congregation flourishing and moving forward? Yeah, it's interesting. The only thing I remember from that talk was the point, which hopefully <laughs> someone who saw it or, or, or took it in uh, graphed, because I, I was encouraging people from our experience to not just pivot, but pivot what it is that you think needs to pivot. And I say that because in our longer history, much of our innovation has come from failure and frustration. Much of our innovation has come from failure and frustration. And I, I like to describe my, myself as a, a bottleneck leader. So we always, in our context, we take a bottleneck approach to leadership where we, we look at the landscape. And I know that you're supposed to do a, a SWOT analysis they teach in leadership circles, right? Strengths and opportunities and uh, strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. For us, we, we, we beeline straight to the bottleneck. Like what is sucking the most right now? Believing that if we can change or alleviate what is the worst about us, then in six months we'll be better because whatever's the worst about us then won't be as bad as it is today. And that might be a real, uh, a real pessimistic view, but that, that's essentially how me and my friends have led for a quarter century. There's this bottleneck approach. So, you know, way back a few years into our, our ministry leadership, we were like a number of churches trying to embrace all of this contemporization of Christianity, hymns to choruses and seeker stuff and attractional model and whatever. And we were growing like 35, 40% year over year over year. And we had lots of stories to tell our pastor buddies about how we were, you know, going to two services and, you know, breaking out walls so that more people could, could attend. And all of a sudden, a friend of ours, who now is one of our teammates, gave us this book uh, that was written by a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, called The Church of Irresistible Influence. And it basically asked the question, if your church up and disappeared, would anyone in your surrounding society even notice? If your church up and disappeared, would anyone in your surrounding society even notice? And we were haunted by that because we looked around and our church at the time was in rural Niagara, kind of on the wine route where there's like vineyards in all directions. And so we looked out the windows as we're being haunted by this question and had to realize that actually nobody would know if we were gone. Nobody would notice because we weren't making a noticeable difference in our surrounding society. We were drawing a crowd for sure, but we weren't a presence in our society. We weren't Jesus incarnate. And, and I say that because at the time, it's, it's hard to actually even share the emotion with, with people who are, are taking in this podcast because we went from like feeling we were all that in a bag of chips kind of a church to almost feeling like we weren't even a church at all. And that level of like having your world rocked or feeling like we were totally missing the point took us on a totally new trajectory. And so fast forwarding like a three or four year journey of again, a number of other frustrations or failures, instead of dealing with our facility expansion and congestion issues by like expansion or planting a church or whatever, we just, up and relocated. And we moved to what was about a mile from the downtown core of the city of St. Catharines in hopes, not just of expanding, but in hopes of actually positioning ourselves in proximity to the poor and the marginalized, to, to, to be able to make 
an actual practical, tangible difference in the fabric of our society. And so after relocating, we started getting involved in some local ministry of compassion and justice, which we knew nothing of at the time. And one thing led to another, and we ended up opening what now for the last 15 years has been the largest homeless shelter in Niagara out of our St. Catherine's site, like out of our actual church building. And so that changed our church building from a place where churchy people went once in a while to a place where people lived 24-7, 365, that church people visited on occasion. And so then that led to one thing leading to another when we became multi-site. And when we started to have these meetings, I think it was in about 2008, 2009, people asked, you know, in these other Southridge locations that we were going to launch, what would the homeless shelter equivalent be? Which was really encouraging to us because now people were catching the vision of our church, not being this crowd gatherer, but actually being a presence in its community. And so then our shelter equivalent became replicated in other parts of Niagara on other social issues. And so we kind of coined the phrase at the time an anchor cause, which was really what we were launching these locations around homeless shelter equivalents. And so then that became kind of the innovative thing. Like we're, we're going to launch each of these sites around an anchor cause. And so today we've got an anchor cause around uh, migrant farm workers in Vineland, which is 20 minutes away from St. Catharines. And we've got an anchor cause around uh, soul support families and, and families at risk low-income families in Welland, which is 20 minutes south of St. Catharines. And so, you know, we've got this multi-site missional church now in Niagara that people would say, oh, is super innovative and has been operationalized. And as you can tell, I could talk about all day, but is really the product of just staring frustration and failure in the face, you know, one frustration at a time and trying to take a bottleneck approach to that and saying, okay, how do we get rid of that failure in order for six months or five years from now to be a church whose worst thing isn't that worst thing and is hopefully better than it was than it was then. Yeah, that's so inspiring. And because at Gather, I mean, we we love and champion the local church. This is all so helpful to us to hear how you didn't just say, well, what are our wins? What are our misses? That's the kind way you go, where do we really suck and what needs to change? And what's the game changer actually changing? I mean, you change locations and so much change. Who is driving that? What, you know, what does it mean to be an innovative leader to make that happen? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny to even feel like we're talking about innovation. I would believe that Southridge has been quite innovative, but I wouldn't say that as a leadership or as a leadership culture, we're as innovative as we are honest. And, and I would say in our case, the key to innovation is actually faithfulness and execution. Like I know from our previous conversations, Kath, that you're like a, a conference and a leadership and a, a reading junkie. And you're super saturated to all kinds of new ideas, as am I, as are the people that I kind of roll with at Southridge and in my circles and your circles. But I think that there's an awful lot of ideation and aspiration in the church today. There's an awful lot of the church should and almost no practical, tangible examples of how. And what I feel like differentiates Southridge and where we have a, a contribution, even in the broader church to make, is that 
we don't just ideate about how the church should or how even our church should. We look at those areas where we're struggling and we say, okay, so what do we do about it? How do we enact change? How do we, how do we stop sucking <laughs> to be sort of blunt? And, and where, where I think God has, has blessed and strengthened our innovation is in the honesty and humility and faithfulness to refuse to live out the definition of insanity. You've probably heard it said that the definition of insanity is doing the same things, expecting different results. But if we stare at those failures and frustrations in the face, we have to say, okay, what different things or what things differently are we prepared to do in order to get different results? If you're not gonna answer those questions practically, then you're only living out the definition of insanity. But if you do answer those questions practically, then you're living out innovation. So you've really got a choice. You're either living out insanity or you're living out innovation without maybe ever seeing yourself as innovative. Yeah, I get that. That sounds like a great title for a new book, Insanity. <laughs> right, <laughs> you can coin it. Right, Insanity or Innovation, you pick. <laughs> And we have male and female listeners, which is great to this podcast, but for the our female listeners, you may be wondering, okay, how does this apply to me? And I see all kinds of applications because many of us get stuck. We get stuck in our self-image. We get stuck in the questions, can I, should I? And we get stuck in the system we're in, in the church sort of thinking, I don't know what can change, what needs to change, and if it can change. And so we don't change anything. We dream about it, we talk about it, but nothing really changes. And so Jeff used the phrase female empowerment a lot, (laughs) use this word empowerment, which is interesting because some people actually react negatively to that word female empowerment because it sounds so ungodly. It sounds so secular that females are being empowered and the next thing you know, they're going to take over the world. So maybe we should, you know, have a different term. How come you use that term? And what does that mean when you say it? Well, let me back up a, a few steps, because in our experience and in our context, our journey of female empowerment, like pretty much every innovation, started with us staring at failure in the face. And you know, you and I were celebrating earlier kind of the, the, the founding or the transition narrative of this generational transfer and, you know, these guys who were invited into ministry. And back then there was a few of us as guys, but I'll tell you, when, when we kind of took over the church, all of us had an egalitarian view on men and women in the church. In my personal background, so I have a, I'm the oldest of uh, three kids, so I have a younger brother and then a younger sister. And in my economy, both men and women were always understood to be leaders. My brother led with me on staff at Southridge for uh, over 16 years. My sister runs a Bible school in Japan. And growing up, they were always very strong personalities and great leaders. So I've only ever known men and women being able to lead together. Our first three hires, when I started uh, leading in our church, two of them were women and they weren't in like traditional sort of female, sort of uh, typical roles, sort of secretarial or administrative, whatever roles. So we always assumed 
that even though we were given the baton of leadership as a, a group of guys, that this would quickly normalize because of what we believed. Well, fast forward 15 years later, and this, what began as kind of a cute little band of brothers was actually starting to be experienced by our community and especially by the women as an impenetrable boys club. And we were starting to hear us talk like that. And knowing that wasn't our heart or our intent, we had to stare at why. And thankfully, uh, you know, often when God wants to get something done, he looks to a woman to, to, to get that done. You see that throughout the scriptures. And in our case, that was, that was uh, our experience where uh, through this kind of course of events, he connected us with Ellen Duffield, whom you and I uh, know very well. And Ellen exposed us to some kind of high points of her research. And I would say the two that were probably the most significant for me personally and for our leadership were number one, appreciating that a woman's confidence peaks at the age of nine. For me as a spouse to my wife, Becky, and to uh, as the dad of my daughter, Adeline, I mean, that was absolutely ravaging. And then on top of that, she talked about the courts, that there are actually two distinct environments where men and women kind of differentiate and thrive differently, almost like fresh and saltwater fish. And what we had to face, that was actually our blind spot as a leadership that, that Ellen helped us see, was that, I guess, bottom line, because we were a band of brothers and we were obviously swimming in this male court, we were forcing women to try to survive, let alone thrive in a man's world. And rather than becoming aware of what it takes for a woman to thrive and orienting ourselves to the other, which is the Jesus way, sort of relinquishing our privilege and power for the empowerment of, of another, we were expecting women to thrive in a male court instead of starting to create more of the culture of a female court in which a woman could thrive. And so that opened us up to the disproportionate investment and the disproportionate invitation that has become our female empowerment movement. But at the end of the day, it was all us staring again, our own faith, our, our own failure in the face, our own frustration to do something about it and saying, what's going to stop us from sucking? Well, what can we do differently and what different things do we have to do in order to get those different results? Thankfully, God partnered us with Ellen to be able to really slay that dragon of patriarchy. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not about empowerment or some kind of, you know, culturally trendy uh, term. It's about us reclaiming the image bearing of the people of God, male and female, he created them, and ultimately allowing all of us to experience and benefit from the fullness of the heart of God. We believe that God has a paternal and maternal heart. And so the language we use at Southridge is that the journey and vision that we're pursuing is that spiritual moms and spiritual dads are parenting this family together. Danielle Strickland would call it being better together. I mean, that's probably better said. Um, that's who we're aspiring to be. But again, what has been operationalized now uh, intensively over the last seven or eight years really was just the product of us 
staring at failure and frustration and choosing innovation instead of insanity. Yeah, that's great because you may have a certain view and know that your desire is to have an environment where more women are welcome. So you do the hire, like get one more or two more and invite the token woman on the board, which is what a lot of people do, but the environment never really changes because it's still the same environment, maybe with, you know, the makeup is different, but those women have to feel safe and included. And I love the model that you've set because it's rare, but it's also something that is replicable, right? I mean, there's resources out there in Southridge yourself and Leaders Village have become a resource for other churches. Is that true? So uh, we're in the process of, of launching kind of a more formalized leadership development ministry called Leaders Village, based on the idea that it takes a village to raise a family. And, you know, often there aren't as many identifiable villages to raise families of God, let alone the spiritual parents of them. And so we're trying to come alongside other leaders and churches and ministries to kind of play a role in that. I would say our lane or the contribution that we sense God wants us to make is really on helping church and ministry leaders understand the how. Again, not being aspirational as to what the church should or ought to do, but how to do that. And so to share our experiences, to share some of what's called the stupid tax uh, that we've paid and to help churches see what's been operationalized in order for them to operationalize that as well, which includes becoming missional and expanding, you know, in multi-site ways and, and becoming more of a missional presence. Like our operating budget 15 years ago spent literally $0 in fostering anything to do with compassion and justice. Today in 2021, over 70% of our resources are invested in fostering that aspect of our way of life. That's dramatic. For church leaders listening, you have to sort of get that to say, wow, that's a huge change. How did you do that? Well, that's where we can come alongside and contribute. So similar to the conversation of female empowerment, there are a lot of voices, yours, Gathers, Ellen's, Brave Leaders, Danielle Strickland's, you know, so, so many more who have way better things to say than us. But we can come alongside and say, well, here's an example of how to make gains on that in a local church context, even if you're starting with an all-male leadership whose court is primarily dominated by a male court. We've, we've actually been able to overcome that to a large degree, and we could come alongside you and, and help you understand and see how. That's good. And we want to tell that story. I think that's important because there was a Jeff I knew slightly, but then there was a Jeff I knew in a different way when you actually walked into a room of primarily female leaders <laughs> at one conference in Edmonton. We were having a prayer time for leaders and you walked in the room and looked around. What did you see and what did you feel? Oh, I remember that vividly. So you, you, you invited me to this like after party. So I was going to the gather after party. I thought Kathy's invited me, so I'm going to go. And I came in and got my drink and sat down and looked around and realized I'm the only guy in the room. And it wasn't until Ken Shigematsu from <laughs> Vancouver showed up about a half hour later that I, I had company. And I mean, all of you were, were super hospitable and, and gracious and, and welcoming. So it wasn't, it wasn't an awkward feeling, but, but from the perspective of awakening to, wow, I'm, I'm the only guy in the room, there, there definitely was a conscious discipline in me at the time 
to try to soak that in and just try to be aware of, of, of how that felt knowing this is probably one of the only times I'm ever going to feel that, but women feel that all the time. My teammates feel that all the time. Women in our church and congregation feel that all the time and they have to live this. So, you know, people around me probably don't know me as the most empathetic person, but I tried to discipline myself in the moment to feel what other people, especially women in that moment, feel so that I could get behind championing this movement in our context and beyond even more effectively and even with more familiarity because, you know, in our context, I'm both kind of pioneering it, breaking the ice, but I'm also outside of it. And so it, it helped me be inside of it uh, to a bit of a greater degree. Yeah. And I think that's making a huge deposit in the bank accounts of any of our listeners who are saying, okay, what did he risk? <laughs> that was a huge risk. You're right. I mean, we females do walk into rooms of men a lot, a lot, a lot. Often if I'm walking into a room and my husband is there, they'll go, oh, you're Steve's wife, right? And I'm identified with him, but not for my own merit. But if I'm walking in with two other women or myself and it's a room of men, it's like everyone looks at you, but it's almost like, what do we do with you? Do we talk to you like a normal person? And, and, and we've experienced that, but it's good learning for us to, to understand that God has called us, you know, as image bearers, as co-laborers, and we need to have that confidence innately that we have inherent value. So there's work for us to do as females. There's work for men to do and understanding what that feels like and making room um, to create that environment that, lets us belong and thrive and also for the church as big c to say what kind of a system is in place that is keeping you know things in status quo that is not letting us um, see what sucks here and what needs to change and i'm just so grateful that you and that southridge is creating a model for something different i think for something that actually takes us back to god's original intent yes it's innovative but it was always you know, God's original design. So I just want to champion that. I hope the listeners um, can do some Googling on Southridge and also Leaders Village and also this brilliant new book that has come out, Finding Our Way. Tell me about the book. Hmm. Yeah, the book. So it's, 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 uh, it, it's, it's a little hard for me to even describe it as the book because it never started that way. Um, the, the week of Easter 2020, so like weeks into the pandemic, I started staring at the face of the coming season. And I sort of got the sense that if I wasn't careful, I was going to have the next three months pass by and I was going to only have like Tiger King and Michael Jordan documentaries to show for it because <laughs> my life had just super simplified. And outside of binging Netflix, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Southridge has been called on to share our ideas and innovations in an increasing way. And so we do workshops and go to conferences and things like that. And people will often ask, like, have you ever written on such and such a topic? But I've never had the time. My kids are three teenagers and my life, especially after I come home from work, it moves at a mile a minute, taxiing and being involved in all my kids' activities. And so there probably was a day, you know, once we were empty nesters where 
you know, maybe we're spending a month in Mexico and I've got time to write or, you know, whatever. But, but now that I was staring at the pandemic in the face and our church was inviting our people into a season of experimenting with spiritual practices, I kind of made this private commitment to God in the week of Easter that, that I would experiment with the spiritual practice of writing. And I made this list of a bunch of topics that people have wanted us to kind of share with them. And it turned out to be 18 different topics. And knowing that we were into this message series on spiritual practices for nine weeks, kind of prayed this prayer. And I said, God, I'm going to, I'm going to try to give you the, the, the discipline of experimenting with writing two sections or two of these units a week for these nine weeks. And if I can get through all of these, you know, by the end of these nine weeks, then at least I'll have something more productive than just being locked in my basement, binging on Netflix to show for the pandemic. Well, those, those units, they flowed like crazy because we talk about this all the time and it's kind of the world that I live in every day. And so all of a sudden I had these four or five weeks in, they were all done and I was kind of configuring them into sections and all of a sudden these sections were like, almost chapters. And I was showing my wife four or five weeks in and she's like, you've written a book. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've just been writing these topics. And, and then I, I, I shared the sort of collection of these with a friend of mine named Tim Day, who, you know, it's been a, a longtime friend and mentor. And he actually shared it with a, a publisher friend of his, who was then a literary, he was becoming a literary agent. He now lives in Denver. And then he started peddling it to publishers and a publisher picked it up and all of a sudden this, this thing was becoming something. And so I quickly had to get my head around the fact that, oh, this is actually more than just a, a, a spiritual discipline exercise during the pandemic. This is becoming a manuscript of chapters, which is actually a book that's gonna steward the story and the innovations of Southridge. So the title uh, is called Finding Our Way and it's essentially a play on words to speak to church leaders today because some of us at one level are kind of lost and confused, especially coming out of a pandemic and need to actually find our way. We're, we're lost and need to find our way. Some of us, I think, think that we know what we're doing and think that we're doing well, but in reality, what we're doing is copying someone else's model of ministry and what we're operationalizing isn't really as effective in our community as we think because it hasn't been customized for us and for our community and for our time and you know even even in a canadian context so we actually need to find our way we need to own and operationalize something for us and then the biggest issue i see is some of us who who aren't lost don't think we're lost actually by contrast probably think we're doing really well and and think that we're kind of up and to the right as a as a church when in reality the church is struggling these days maybe not internally, but externally. The statistics are growing where if you define the ultimate metric as the degree to which our world sees Jesus, where I, I believe that the purpose of the church ultimately is to incarnate Jesus, like the latest Barna stats are, you know, in the high 80s and 90s where people associate the church with being hypocritical or judgmental or distrustful in how it handles money or the worst is that they're anti-gay and all of these all of these uh, kind of impressions that are very different than society's innate and intuitive impression of Jesus you know there's that phrase by Gandhi that says I like your Christ I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ 
And in my, my kind of spiritual journey, the whole reason I got into ministry was to kind of close that gap. I was either going to give up on the church because it made such little sense of Jesus, or I was going to give the rest of the best of my life to try to make it make more sense of Jesus. And that's really what I've been about for the last quarter century. And now through the leaders village and through finding our way, what I want to help other church and, and ministry leaders be about as well. But the biggest problem to me outside of leaders who are lost and need to find their way or leaders who need to own a vision and a model for themselves and find their way are leaders who've lost the way of Jesus and are doing something they think is good, but is actually failing to reveal Jesus to the world and or failing to foster legitimate Christ likeness in their people. Maybe they've got a great service. Maybe they're drawing a great crowd. Maybe they've got programs that people like to participate in. But is their community actually seeing and knowing Jesus to a greater degree because of them? Or is that Gandhi gap actually growing without them even knowing it? That's the haunting question that I want to kind of pose to leaders today. And hopefully through some operationalized innovations in our context, help them address. Yeah, that's fantastic because we know that the arrows pointing in that influence us are very much culture and context and culture is telling us all kinds of things that are taking us away from the biblical truth. And you say, reclaiming first century church in the 21st century. That's the subtitle of your book. And I think for, you know, the girls listening, I mean, there are a lot of us that have become lost, not only, you know, with our gender, where do we go? What do we do? What's our place in the church? But we're trying to find help for our souls by looking all different places instead of saying it's actually Jesus. So that's so helpful. This conversation has been really helpful as a coach. I think there's so many principles like operational, practical things first identify, you know, what sucks. I think I'm going to use that term. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I, I always believe well, actually, it was uh, Paul Magnus, where I went to seminary at Briarcrest, and he was my mm. prof, and he said, you know, people have the why, but they just don't know that they don't have the how. And I think the how without without, you know, the tools, the resources, we'll just get stuck. We'll just like, can't do it. I can't figure it out. And I think Southridge is creating a resource, a model, I think a connecting network um, of leaders in this village that are going to produce, be producing more and more how for those of us who need that. So I really honor that and I appreciate that. Well, and, and I appreciate that, Kath. My, my like kind of disclaimer to that is that in no way is Southridge intending or expecting to be prescriptive. Like there's only one Southridge, there's only one Niagara region, there's only one 2021. So this is, you know, in a number of different ways, kind of what God has done for us and with us and in our context, but I think it can be descriptive in not telling readers and hearers what to think, but helping them process how to think. And that's really our goal, as you've, as you've said, to, to help people get over the guilt of knowing that the church ought to change and knowing that you know, our lives should look more like Jesus and our churches should reflect Jesus more. And we should be resuming or reclaiming and revealing the Jesus way in our context today. But how do you do that? If we can come alongside and give one practical example in a Canadian context of how to do that, that inspires the thinking and the operationalizing 
at a practical level of how in other church and ministry context, then God's going to use this book and this ministry in really profound ways. Yeah. And you're creating a resource that's going to become part of the fabric of the church in Canada. I mean, it's here and, and you're doing it and it's real and we need, we all need bottles, right? So um, I know you've probably got lots of things you could say to local churches and encourage them and the big C church, but I would love you to just give a word specifically to the female church, not only in Canada, but beyond like your hope for them and encouragement for them as we close. Okay. Uh... I'll try not to get too emotional about this because it this 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 does get pretty personal pretty quickly. I would say, first of all, to every woman uh, taking in the podcast, know from God's perspective how much you matter, how much you matter to Him, how much you matter to His plan, how much you matter to His future and to His life and love being revealed in the world. It wasn't an accident where in creation, God made men and we, women equal in his image. Obviously, when it came to the fall, we were all affected by sin. But when Jesus came to earth, it says God so loved the whole world that he sent his one only son. That whole world includes men and women equally. That death and resurrection of Jesus applies to women equally. The availability of his Holy Spirit applies to women equally. The gifting of his Holy Spirit applies to women equally. And the gifting, even in gifts like teaching and leadership and administration and things like that, apply, I believe, from the bottom of my heart, they apply to women and men equally. And you need to just not just know that, you know, sort of theoretically, you need to hear that and especially hear that from male voices that we believe that along with people like Kathy, together with you, that you matter. You matter to God, you matter to us, you matter to his church, and you matter to his future. At a more personal level, I think the reason I can say with such passion that you matter is because people like me know how much we're missing puzzle pieces in the box. You know, the, the God that we follow and serve has both a maternal and paternal heart. And there are things that I can bring as a man that I believe women struggle to bring. I, I believe that. But you have to know in your gentleness, in your intuitive softness and care, in your discerning intuition, in your gut, that often for you as women is really hard to trust because of your default to insecurity, you need to know that that stuff was put there by God deliberately and is anointed by the Spirit of God for you to bring what only you can bring, what I could never bring, that people like me and leaders like me desperately need to get more of God in our context, in our communities, and in our countries. So, I want to tell you to like step up and don't hold back, but I know that that's the worst thing to say to a woman because of the default to insecurity. So in whatever way I can breathe the, the, the theological confidence that from God's perspective, you matter more than you ever know. And then from the personal context, as a male leader, as a male first chair senior leader, you are needed and necessary for what God is on the move doing in his church across our country more than you could ever know. We are desperate for you to come alongside with us men and make the difference that only can, only you can make. My wife needs it. My daughter needs it. 
My sons need it. I need it. Men and women across our country, faith-based, not yet faith-based, our communities, we need you to step up and lean into who God ultimately wants you to be. Come alongside and hopefully we can breathe that confidence on God's behalf so that you can be all that God created and saved and sent Jesus to anoint you to be. 100% received. That's amazing. I'm thinking of the verse in Isaiah uh, where, you know, the angel kind of ministers with coal on his mouth and God is saying like, who's going to go? And, and he says, I spoke up and said, I'll be the one send me. And I think after that, we can respond to that with our hands raised and said, said, you know, we'll do it. If there's someone like you out there, we know that is championing us as we develop and do the work on our own. And if there's more and more spaces created for us to feel welcome and uh, challenged and serve the church, um, I hope that our response will always be here I am send me so thanks so much Jeff this was powerful I'm excited to um, get this out to male and female leaders alike even um, we know from next level leadership from being on the leadership team working with Alan that even this word leadership so many women discount themselves like I'm not a leader I'm a woman I'm not a leader but anyone out there <laughs> listening, I know that there will be at least one brilliant takeaway aha moment from this podcast. So thanks so much for this conversation. We'll put all of your information where to get you in the show notes, where they can find the book and where they can track with you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Kath. I am just thrilled to be able to partner with you and with Gather to a greater degree as we lock arms and try to build this beautiful woman uh, called the Bride of Christ yes. uh, across our country together. Yes, that's fabulous. Thanks. We trust that this conversation you were just a part of today on our podcast would really empower you in your sphere of influence to continue to strengthen your gorgeous, brilliant, phenomenal feminine voice and strength that you have to offer your spheres of influence. We are so excited about launching Gather Voices coaching cohort for summer all the way through to the rest of 2021 to really continue to coach and champion the female voice in the church and across our nation of Canada. Why don't you consider jumping on our wait list, looking at the information, praying into whether this is your time to take the next step and really continue to grow with your revelation that you beautiful woman of God have an opportunity to use your voice for the sake of the kingdom in new ways in new arenas maybe for the first time or maybe it's whole new levels of influence that you are believing God is entrusting you with in this season seriously girls revival will only happen when the female church awakens to usher in humanity's welcome home with your voice and your presence. So why don't you look at stepping into, investing into this space called Gather Voices with us for a six-month journey. Phenomenal guest uh, coaches are coming on, guest equippers. You're going to meet incredible girls across our nation online from wherever you are so that all different parts of this nation can be impacted with your voice. Consider joining us. Jump on to gatherwomen.com and have a look at all that is coming up in this movement that serves you and the call of God in your life.